Today's episode is the second in a series on connection. For the first episode, go back and listen to episode 104. Let me ask you this. When you were a teenager and you were worried about something or something happened to you or you found yourself in a bad spot and you didn't know how to get out, who would you go to? Who did you trust enough to ask for help or advice? Was it a parent, another relative or trusted adult, or was it a friend your age? Really think about this a minute. Who felt safe to you? Who wouldn't judge you? Who supported you and made you feel like everything was going to be okay? If you said it was your parent, good for you. You had a wonderful relationship and you're likely carrying on that tradition. But for many teenagers, going to a parent for this kind of support is an absolute last resort. And for us, this issue may not be top of mind when we think about parenting our teens and tweens. We can get so caught up in grades and schoolwork and making sure their room is clean and that the wet towel is hung on the rod and that they use the right tone with us that we lose sight of the most significant element of parenting a kid who will soon be a young adult, our connection with them, the relationship we dreamed of having with them when they were babies. So I'm going to talk more about connection today how to make sure you balance the negative and the positive interactions with your teen to make sure you maintain connection with them. This is Speaking of Teens, the podcast that helps parents who are struggling to find peace and connection with their teens. My name is Ann Coleman. I'm an attorney turned parent educator and a mom who's been there. And I'm on a mission to help you build a stronger relationship and decrease the conflict with your kid so you can help them grow into the young adult they're meant to be. Remember I said in the episode from last Friday that your connection is the ingredient that keeps your teens safe and healthy. It's the glue that holds your relationship together. It's what ensures that you stay an integral part of their lives, that they allow you to know the things that you need to know. It's what makes sure they want to do the things and behave in such a way that will be true to their values. Connection keeps your voice in their head. When they're faced with a decision, they'll be able to think. What would I want my parents to know? And what would they feel I should do here? Last week, we talked about one way to stay connected or attempt connection if you feel you've lost it, and that's showing interest in what they are interested in. We're not talking about trying to get them to take up a hobby that you enjoy. Sorry, trying to force a kid who's into building computers from scratch to play tennis with you is probably going to backfire big time. We're talking about being interested in their hobbies and their obsessions. And listen, I know rap music might not be your thing or the idea of sitting down to play a video game probably makes you cringe, but how much effort are you willing to put into the best way to keep your kid physically safer and mentally healthier? At least your past Barbies and jumping on the trampoline. 
And just to reiterate, I mean, I can't stress it enough, the importance of showing a major interest in anything and everything that your kid is into. I'm not just recommending it. I am telling you it's mandatory. You must stop what you're doing and go watch them play Minecraft or Fortnite. Ask them to show you how. Learn about it. Read about it. Ask them questions. Make comments. You'll be amazed at how they will light up when you do that. That little spark is all it takes to open their mind to the possibility that you may just be cool enough to share really critical information with if necessary. Find that spark. And I hope it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, do not criticize or show your disdain for their interests. Even if you cannot force yourself to feign interest in contouring makeup, do not make comments like, how can it possibly look good to layer that much makeup on your face? These little comments we make in passing that just kind of pop out of our mouths as we think them can do so much damage to your connection as much probably as punishing or directly criticizing them can. When you make light of or poo-poo their interests, hobbies, or anything like that, you are directly, really criticizing them. You might as well say, you're such a loser for liking Nicki Minaj music, or you're an idiot for wanting to watch someone else watch video games and talk about them for hours on end. Rolling your eyes or asking them to turn the music down is criticism in their brain. Their brain interprets things extremely negatively. Studies have shown that the adolescent brain reacts with increased brain activity in the amygdala, that emotional center of the brain, and has decreased activity in the prefrontal cortex, that's the part for self-control, when the mother criticizes them. Don't ask me why they never put the father in these studies, but they just don't. Just know that those little slights and digs about what they enjoy they can garner a big negative emotional reaction from your kid. You know the old saying, if you can't beat them, join them. That's what we're talking about here. And I'll add, if you just can't bring yourself to join them, don't criticize them. Now, if you've already been doing this, like criticizing and that kind of thing, or subtly criticizing, there's a way to go back and make it up. The next time they're playing a game or listening to that music, say, you know what? I think I judged this game too soon. That actually looks like a lot of fun. Can you tell me about it as you play? Or the next time a song comes on the radio or their phone that you'd normally ask them to just kind of skip over, ask them to turn it up and say, you know what? That's actually growing on me. Now, along these same lines, remembering that the adolescent brain has more of a glass half empty than glass half full outlook and is super sensitive to what it sees as criticism, You have to pay attention to nurture your connection and not allow disconnection to take over. And I don't want you to consider this walking on eggshells because once you know how to do this and you pay attention to the things that trigger your child, you're no longer in the dark and wondering if something you're going to say or do is going to send them into orbit. You'll know what things to steer clear of, or at least try to steer clear of. And sometimes you still may get a little surprise in there. But 
Um, maybe you've heard my conversations with Dr. Adam Price in episode 93 or Carrie Cooper in episode 91. In both of those episodes, we talked a bit about stepping back and keeping the reminders to a minimum and letting natural consequences do their job. And there are several reasons for this. One, they can't develop their own inner motivation if they're receiving constant external motivation instructions from you. Two, again, their amygdala often misinterprets your reminders as negative, as criticism, nagging, berating, scolding, and it sends them into fight or flight mode, making them angry or nervous, arguments and sass. As a matter of fact, research has shown that in response to maternal criticism, there we go again, maternal criticism, the limbic region of their brain, that which encompasses the amygdala, shows increased activity. But in areas of the prefrontal cortex, which would normally calm the amygdala down, it shows decreased activity. So it can't help the amygdala calm down. And three, if you're telling them what to do, demanding something of them, it certainly engages the amygdala because it's even more of a direct threat than a subtle criticism because it's a threat to their autonomy, their ability to make their own decisions and being in control, which is hugely important to an adolescent. So these direct or perceived threats will all likely elicit a negative response, a fight or flight response from your teen. They may yell, argue, have an attitude, say something you consider disrespectful or worse. This is an automatic brain reaction, not purposeful, okay? It's not purposeful conduct. They don't do this because they want to do it. You know how you duck when someone acts like they're going to throw something at you, throw something in your face? That's your amygdala protecting you from a perceived threat. It's automatic. You could no more not have ducked than you could stop yourself from sneezing. This is not willful conduct. This is your teen's reaction to your behavior. Other research worth mentioning here discusses the changes that occur in the mother-child relationship during adolescence. The article reviewed theories and evidence regarding emotional variability during conflicts. The research shows that it's not so much the number of conflicts that you have with your teens that determines the quality of your relationship as much as it is the speed with which and the extent to which you're both able to bounce back from a negative or unpleasant interaction to a more positive and supportive one. So for example, if you can be really irritated with each other for one minute and then express those negative emotions and, you know, opinions freely, listen to each other, validate and empathize with each other, and then quickly get over it and move on to be able to maybe laugh about it with each other or kid each other or discuss more positive things. This flexibility is hugely positive for connecting with your teenager. Hey there, real quick, I want you to know about something that if you're anything like me, an anxious ADHD overthinker, you may really need. 
It's my free guide, Emotional Awareness Strategies. Being emotionally aware is the key to managing your emotions with your kids or anyone else. Inside, I talked to you about the common thinking traps, being able to differentiate between your emotions, and the importance of mindfulness. If you're a yeller, lecturer, crier, or punisher, you need this guide. The link is at the very bottom of the episode description where you're listening. Back to the show. And let me remind you of this too. Every time your teen's amygdala is engaged and sends them into fight or flight response, like there's a blow up and an argument, that amygdala gets a little more sensitive or more reactive, meaning it will take less for it to activate the next time you say something or do something that it takes as a threat. For example, on the first full day of school, let's say you ask your teen what they had for homework when they got in the car and they let you have it. It's the freaking first day of school. I don't know why you have to ask me these things. It's written down somewhere. Don't worry about it. All that good stuff. And then you tell them not to talk to you that way. And then they slam the door as they get out of the car. And then day two, no lesson learned. You ask again, how was school? And what do you have for homework? Another blow up, but this time a few more choice words. You raise your voice, demand an apology, and more door slammed. Day three, now you're just out to prove a point. You ask again, and this time it's all out war. Day four, you decide to take a different approach. You wait until you get home and you ask, do you need any help with your homework today? I'm here. And although you say it in the nicest way you know how, your kid hears how much homework do you have? Don't tell me you don't have any. And when are you going to start it? And yet another massive blow up. Now, over time, all this amygdala activation, it can lead to an anxiety disorder. We must be sensitive to this with our teens and tweens and find a way to work with their sensitive amygdala. And if your teen already has an anxiety disorder or is already stressed out and primed for one, every time their amygdala is engaged in this way, it's only making the issue worse. Please remember that they do not have the same control over this reaction as you do. Their prefrontal cortex is supposed to jump in and help them see things more clearly and rationally and help them calm down but it's still programming, which means it's weak right now. And they have a very difficult time controlling their emotional reactions without your help, which is why emotion coaching is so important. And I'll have the links in the show notes for those episodes where I talk about that. So this perceived criticism, these perceived threats to the amygdala, they can act to build a wall between you and your teen. But it's not just nagging and criticism and arguments. It's invalidating their emotions, correcting their tone in the middle of a discussion, cutting them off mid-sentence to tell them no, rolling your eyes, making a sarcastic comment, fubbing them, ignoring them, dismissing them. Every single negative interaction like this is a brick in that wall. And for every brick that goes up in that wall, your connection decreases. Pretty soon, you have none, and you're just staring at the brick wall between you and your teenager. 
This is why I talked in the last Friday's episode about one of the ways to build connection through showing an interest in what they're interested in, because it's not going to be possible to avoid all unpleasant interactions with your teen because of their way their brain works and they misinterpret things. Negative reactions, as you can see now, it really doesn't take a whole lot. So let's talk about how else we can counteract these negative interactions. You may have heard me explain the magic ratio before, but it's worth repeating. Back in the 1970s, John Gottman and another researcher began several longitudinal studies on married couples that took place over the span of nine years. The researchers gave all these couples a conflict to solve within 15 minutes while they watched them. And based on this observation, the researchers were able to predict with over 90% accuracy which of the couples would be divorced and which would still be married at the nine-year mark. 90% just by sitting back and watching them solve this problem. As it turns out, there's a very specific ratio of positive to negative interactions in a marital relationship that predicts the level of satisfaction in the marriage. The researchers call it the magic ratio, which is five positives to every one negative interaction. So for one conflict, you have to balance it out with five other positive interactions. In case Gottman sounds familiar to you, he's also the researcher that discovered the parenting style called emotion coaching that I also teach. So let me interject here before we go any further. I'm going to be talking about positive and negative interactions, but I'm not talking about discipline. That's another topic altogether. You can listen to episode 22 for discipline and consequences. Right now, we're talking about the day-to-day interactions between you and your teen, okay? Now, other parenting experts like Dr. John Duffy, the author of Parenting the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety, have likened this magic ratio in marital relationships to those between parents and kids. As a matter of fact, in Dr. Duffy's book, he talks about an exercise that he has parents of adolescents do where he asks them to keep an honest accounting of the positive and negative interactions they have with their teen for a couple of days. He tells them to be very honest and that if you don't see that five to one positive to negative ratio, that you better work on it. I agree with Dr. Duffy and because of the other research on the adolescent brain, which has determined that it automatically interprets things so negatively, I say you're going to need a hell of a lot of positive interactions between you and your teen to keep your emotional bank account, as Dr. Duffy calls it, in the black. Interestingly, the list that Dr. Gottman gives for maintaining that balance in a marriage is also extremely relevant for your relationship with your teens. So I'm going to go over just a few of those real quick. For example, he says, be interested. Now he's talking about with your spouse, but this is the same thing with your teen. Listen to your teen. When they talk, you stop everything. You put that phone down and you give them a thousand percent attention. This is crucial. You listen when they're excited or when they're upset or even when they're angry at you. You can refer back to the emotion coaching episodes. I'll have those linked in the show notes. 
listen and validate their emotions. Give them a word to use when you realize how they're feeling. Get curious and ask questions if you don't. And something that goes right along with this is, he also says, express affection. When they're upset, this helps them calm down. If they're open to a hug or a touch on the shoulder, but just any time you want to fill that bank account with them, you show them how much you love them. And this doesn't have to be through a hug or a kiss or some sort of touch. It can be a note on their bathroom mirror or making their favorite dessert or putting clean sheets on their bed, taking them to a movie. It can be the smallest, tiniest little thing and it doesn't even have to cost money. Also, be sure to always demonstrate that they matter. Gottman says in a marriage, the motto is small things often. And that sounds like it would also work in the parent-child relationship as well. Showing them you care about them on a regular basis helps provide that buffer for the conflict that inevitably is going to happen. If you know your kid had an especially hard day, do something nice like slip them a note under their door or put their favorite music on really loud in the other room. Also, he talks about intentional appreciation. He talks about when couples fight, you tend to focus on the negative traits like, oh my God, they're so messy or they spend too much money or they do this or don't do that. It's the same with our kids. Instead, try to focus on your kids' positive traits. Along these lines, think about them as babies. Get out the baby book and share it now and then with them and remind yourself of how precious they were and still are and pay them sincere compliments as often as you can. Also, find opportunities for agreement. Brainstorm and find bits of something that you can agree on. Negotiate and compromise. Also, empathize and apologize. I talk about this all the time. Empathy is so necessary in your relationship with your adolescent. Empathy for how their brain works and for all the stress they're under, whether you see it or realize it or not. Again, learn emotion coaching and importantly, learn to apologize when you do mess up. It's great modeling for your teen, if nothing else. Also, accept their perspective on things. You and your teen can have completely different perspectives on something and totally disagree, but still respect each other's input and opinion. This is where active listening is so important, reflecting what they say back and summarizing it to them. And you can make jokes. As I mentioned earlier, and Gottman has it on his list here as well, being able to tease and act silly during a conflict or right after a conflict can certainly diffuse the situation. And I may talk about some of these again in this series on connection, but today, one of the last things I'll say about this magic ratio and watching your interactions is to remember what I've said before. And this comes from researcher Dr. Lawrence Steinberg. If it's not dangerous, unethical, unhealthy, illegal, or likely to close some door better left open, then it's not worth having a rule or arguing about it. Leave it up to them. For example, please stop with the messy bedroom Messy bedrooms are simply part of life growing up, period. End of story. 
they're not dangerous, unethical, unhealthy, illegal, or likely to close some door better left open. Unless, as I always say, there are roaches or rats running around in there, and that's quite possible. Could have been possible in my son's bedroom. But you're going to fight this battle with no end in sight and absolutely no winners because every time you remind or reprimand or argue or do something mean, like put their clothes out on the front porch or something, you are adding a brick to that wall between you. And what did we just say about that wall? The communication, the trust, the connection stops and your influence with them it ends. Then you're talking rebellion, lying, acting out, and you don't want that. So please chill out a little bit on the stuff that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Your kid's not going to be a slob forever. And if they are, there are worse things they could be. You know what else you could stop doing? fussing about that damn wet towel in the bathroom floor. If they leave it in the floor and it's that big a deal to you, then make sure they have to use that towel for their next shower. Put the other dry, good, clean towels up and dole them out as you see fit and tell them that's what they get. And if they don't find it necessary to use a dry towel that's been hanging on a rod, why should you care? Do you hang your towel up? Of course you do. When did you learn that? They'll learn to hang their towel up one day too. Or they can fight it out with their future roommate or spouse and you don't have to have any part of that. (laughs) Don't risk your relationship with your kid over that wet towel or that messy ass room. Stop it. In all seriousness now, I didn't think about it this way. Of course I didn't. Nobody does. Until I had to have my son shipped all the way across the country to a residential treatment center because his anxiety and depression were so bad that he could not function normally. At that point, it may have already been a few months that I'd said to hell with his bedroom, but I was probably still talking about it and probably bitching about it while he was struggling so bad. And this is what they told us at the residential treatment center. You're sitting there worried about a few clothes in the floor and some open bags of chips while their entire world is falling apart around them. Your child is in pain. Messy rooms mean absolutely nothing, nothing ever. And it doesn't matter if your kid is, you know, has anxiety or depression or is on the brink of anything. They may not be as stressed out or acting out like mine was but they are stressed. I'm telling you, they are. No kid out there is immune from the stress that they're under, whether they're an overachiever or an underachiever. None of them escapes the stress of going to school, managing teachers and parents' expectations and trying to maintain friendships or popularity and school and sports, homework, pressures from romantic partners, social media, all that stuff. I am telling you, they are stressed, and I know you're stressed, but they don't know a different world than what they are in. They only know life from their perspective, and from their perspective, it's pretty dang stressful. So just remember, please don't make things worse. 
Stop focusing on things that just do not matter in the grand scheme of life. What matters? What will help you maintain your influence for the truly important things in their life? Your connection. How do you solidify that connection? One way is to have more positive interactions than negative. And a great way to have more positive interactions is to show a real interest in what they're interested in. And one way to avoid negative interactions is to avoid all those nasty digs, smart comments, judgy questions, demands, threats, reminders, and fussing about stuff that doesn't matter. Now, sermon over. That's the podcast for today. I appreciate you putting up with my bluntness, but I wouldn't say this stuff if I didn't love you. It hurts me more than it does you. I'm just kidding. I'm really kidding. But I really am just trying to save you from looking back with any regret. Your messy, lazy, smart-ass teenager is going to be just fine. And believe it or not, they won't even be messy, lazy, smart-ass grown-ups. Well, I mean, maybe, but, you know, nobody promised perfection now, did they? If you want a list of episodes or books that I referenced in the show, just go to the link for the show notes right there in the episode description where you're listening. And I really appreciate you being here and listening. You are welcome to come join us in the Facebook group by clicking the link at the very bottom of the episode description. And until next time, remember... A little change goes a long way.